The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Uh, good morning, church. It's good to see you, and it is fun to be together. And, uh, you know, we are, I don't know uh, how much you know kind of about the internal workings of the church and just different things about us and, and how kind of observant you are about these things. If you would look around, you'd understand this to be true. But let me give you the numbers. We're blessed to be a very young church. And I know a lot of churches are, you know, they would look at this and just go, wow, how do you get so many uh, young uh, people to, to go to your church? And at the average age, we ran the numbers, the average age of our church is 27 years old. That's pretty young, right? And what, what that translates, because there's a lot of kind of old guys like me around, and a few who are older, um, but it, it, what it translates into is uh, lots of kids down the hall right now, uh, lots of youth in our uh, junior and senior high ministries, and it means lots and lots and lots of babies. Okay, all together now. Right? See, you didn't even need to be prompted on that. So that's, I think that represents 16 or so of the more recent arrivals in our church, and we are blessed. Amen? We are blessed in that way. So I was thinking about uh, babies, and uh, it's been a long time for us. But um, since we've been in this category of raising babies, but you know, you just start to think about first words that babies say. What's the very first word babies usually say? Dada, correct. Moms take note. Dads, right? Dada. And we are always so proud because, you know, we did absolutely nothing to get to that stage. And then the first words out of the kid's mouth are dada, and that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, mama's usually uh, fairly soon after. Uh, Cheryl and I, we decided we weren't going to use baby words with our kids. We just decided to teach them English. Um, so we used real words with them, but some parents, I get it. Uh, you might use the word bubba to refer to the, the bottle. And uh, sadly, because our kids all have a sin nature, the word no usually creeps up in the first uh, five, six words. Uh, usually when you're trying to get them to do something and they figured it out and it's no, no. And then, and then somewhere in that first group of words is usually we get them to say ta, ta, which means thank you, thank you. And we get them to say thank you. And, and though we teach the concept of gratitude so early on in, in a child's development, I mean, I'm talking in the first six words we teach them, we're getting them to say thank you. We're trying to instill in them that they should be gra- grateful for things. But then parents, tell me this isn't true as you, as you continue to raise your kids. It, like, you never stop having to tell your kids to say thank you for something, right? Some adult does something for them. You say, hey, did you remember to say, did you remember to say thank you? And it's because it's not naturally in us to be grateful people, we have to keep reinforcing the concept over and over and over again. And sadly, this, this doesn't change once we get into ad- adulthood because then generally what we do is we then take this concept of saying thank you and, and we lower it down to the level of a, of a convention, a social convention. It's it's something that you say. It's like saying, how are you? We don't really want to know. We just say it. 
And we say thank you, not, not because we're truly thankful, but because it's a nicety, it's a greeting, it's a thing that we do, but it's not flowing naturally out of our hearts. Just think about it. Every time you say thank, thank you to somebody, are you, are you truly thankful? Or are you just saying it because it has to be said? Gratitude becomes an afterthought. Here's the problem for us. We're not like your average Joe. We're the followers of Jesus Christ, and we have obligations on us that flow out of the relationship we have with God, and so it's not at all acceptable for us to allow gratitude to descend into this category of social nicety or social convention. It's not an option for the Christian. A 5G Christian especially is made to be grateful. And of course, it starts with gratitude to God. And once we have that locked down, as we'll see in today's text, that then becomes gratitude toward one another. And there's an outflow of that that affects everybody. And we create in our lives this culture of gratitude around us. And don't miss the benefit of this. Why should I be grateful why beyond the fact that it's an obligation for those of us as the followers of Christ? Well, I mean, study after study just proves it. The benefits to us are enormous. When we're grateful people, our emotional health is better. Our mental health is better. Our spiritual health for sure is better. When we're grateful people, even our physical health is affected by our ability, our desire to be a grateful people. And so in today's passage, Paul gives us the foundation for the Christian's gratitude, what that's going to look like in our everyday lives. We're going to pound away at this um, in the next few minutes. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 15. You have your Bibles open, I hope, and let me read this passage and then I'll pray for us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 15. The Apostle Paul writes this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, uh, but not forsaken, struck down, uh, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be uh, manifest in our bodies." For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Don't you just love God's word? Amen, you love God's word? Well, let's pray right now and thank him uh, for it. Uh, Father, we, uh, we come to you uh, not naturally inclined to be grateful. We're definitely sinful people, uh, selfish, um, self-centered. Uh, God, we know that we war against our natural, natural self and especially, God, when we get your word open in front of us. And so, God, we so desperately need your Holy Spirit right now to move in this place, to move in our hearts, and to make us a grateful people. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
All right, let's, um, let's get started with this. I am a grateful Christian when. This can be your declaration about yourself. I'm a, a grateful Christian when. I know my place before God. And this is so hard to know our places before God because we fight against the prevailing culture that says, we're awesome, we're everything. You have it in you. And because our culture is saying to that, we begin to believe that message and we lose our perspective on where we belong. So the the culture is, is making it difficult. And of course, as I prayed just a few minutes ago, our own natural selves, our sin nature makes it difficult to accept our position before God. The original sin, of course, was this desire to be as God. Listen, that, that battle's not over. Every single issue you deal with, every, everything you come against in God's word that says you ought to change and be more like Jesus, all of that is about you and I exalting ourselves to the level of God. And so it's a, it's a constant battle. I know my place before the Lord if I'm a grateful Christian. And to, to get there then, to help us understand our place before God. Paul says of us all, verse 7, notice this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now the treasure, let's talk about that. What's he talking about? If you go to the verses before this, he's talking about the treasure of the gospel. He's talking about the message of Jesus Christ. And really Jesus embodies the gospel. He's the purveyor of the message, but he really is the message itself. And our salvation is in Jesus Christ. And uh, therefore the treasure here is the gospel. It's the message. It's, it's really the treasure of Jesus Christ. He's speaking to the mission that we've been given to proclaim that gospel to a world that needs to he- hear it. And, and it's called a treasure here. So it begs the question, what value do you place on the gospel? Think about it. Not like cognitively, I, I, I value it this much. But I mean, really, when you consider your life and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message, where does it rank among all the things that you think are important? Is, is, it, of, is it of high value? Well, for sure, I would say is it, it's of high value. But when I say it's of high value, maybe I'm also saying there are other things that are of higher value. And really, a great word to describe the, the treasure of Jesus Christ is... Um, it's of infinite value. Does that make more sense? It's of infinite value. It makes more sense to me because that's what I put in my notes. It's of infinite value. You see, and what I'm saying that is that, that actually the treasure of Jesus Christ, unlike all the treasures of this world, the treasure of Jesus Christ and the gospel is immeasurable. It's infinite. It's, it's, of, it's of that status in my life and so that's the treasure. And when, and when you get that, when you value the gospel like that and you see it, that it's that kind of treasure and you put God and that message, that treasure in its proper place, then that lays the right foundation for us to be a grateful people. And so is that where he is in your life? You got the foundation laid. You love Jesus and his gospel that much. And so when you get that, the Spirit then says to us, he puts us in our place and uses us as an illustration here, uses an illustration here to help us understand this by calling us jars of clay, earthen vessels, clay pots. 
That's what you are right now. That's the picture that God is creating for us in the text here, that we're just a, we're a clay pot, we're a jar of clay. Now, three characteristics of this I want us to understand so that we understand exactly who we are and how God is seeing us and what our place is. Uh, first characteristic of a clay pot is that it's, uh, it's temporary. It's, it's temporary. It's a disposable container. Do you know this about clay pots that they're, they're not even recyclable? And we're, we're in this like uh, crazy uh, recycling uh, culture that we live in right now. And you've got, a, you got the blue box. This does not go in the blue box. It's not plastic. It's not, it's not tin. It's not, what else can we put? Glass. It's not glass. You can't, you, those are the things you put in the blue box. The gray box, that's for the paper stuff. And, and it's not, it's not, it can't go in the gray box. In the green box, you can put all of your yard waste and your uh, kitchen waste. All your organics can go in there. Even those, um, those wax cups from uh, Timmy's go in there. And, and, um, but this isn't any of those things. It can't go in the green box. You, this goes in the garbage when it's broken. Okay, when, it, when, it, when you're done, it's just a disposable container. You can't recycle this. It can only be reused uh, once and for one thing. And um, again, he's, he's using this illustration to refer to us. And so just think of yourself. You're, you're temporary. You're, um, your body's not recyclable, I guess is what we're saying. Okay, we're not throwing you in a blue box at the end of all things and then finding a new use for your body. Just disposable. And, and we're temporary. When you and I are gone, that's it. But the mission continues, right? Because the treasure is of infinite worth. And so the, the mission goes on. It, it, the mission was going on before you were here, before I was here. It's going to go on long after we're uh, done here. So don't think too highly of yourself. We're just temporary. Uh, how about this? Uh, secondly, a second characteristic of the uh, clay pod, the jar of clay, is that it's... Uh, it's unimpressive. My apologies to those of you who have, uh, you know, put uh, potted plants and these things around your house and think that that's beautiful. This is the most ordinary of pots around. If you're going for the retro look, God bless you, you've nailed it, okay? But other than that, it's a pretty, it's, you can buy a lot of fancier pots, true or false. You can buy a lot of fancy pots out there, different colors, different shapes, different sizes. This is the standard old clay pot. There's nothing fancy about this. It's um, unimpressive. It's not a, a vessel when we start talking about ourselves. It's, it's, we're not vessels that are uh, made out of any precious materials. not like an oak vessel that some artisan created. It's, it's not a special kind of stone. It's not marble of any kind. It's just a clay pot. It's super unimpress, unimpressive, especially in comparison to the beautiful treasure that is contained within it. And I don't, I don't want to speak for anybody else here. I'll just speak for myself. Y'all are a, a beautiful group in so many uh, different ways. Um, I'll just speak for myself and just say, you know, a relative to the gospel, I'm, I'm, I'm not only unimpressive, I'm, I'm fairly ugly. You know what I'm saying? Just completely unimpressive. That's the clay pot. That's the, the idea that Paul's trying to give us here. And then thirdly, um, do you know what the third one is? It's extremely fragile. It's breakable. The clay pot is not the kind of thing that you put anything in that you're trying to protect. 
Okay, it's, it's breakable in every way. It's, it, it so describes me that jars of clay can be so easily cracked, so easily chipped, so easily broken, and therefore of no more use. Do you want to know how fragile this is? Fair, fairly fragile. Fairly fragile. And that's... Um, how many people love that right there? Because <laughs> I, I sure loved it. And, and that's you and me. That's you and me. We're so fragile. We're so, we're so breakable. And why is all that important? Why, why would God want us to think of ourselves in this way, temporary, unimpressive, so fragile, so breakable? Well, it's, the answer is given to us in the latter part of verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Amen? It's about Him. It's not about us. It's about His awesomeness and our unworthiness. And if I'm made to be grateful, then I need to know my place. And when anything great happens in my life, when anything good comes my way or anything beautiful happens as a result of what I've worked on or put my hands to, under these conditions, knowing my place, knowing who he is, knowing what the treasure really is, when anything good happens, everyone knows it had to be God and not me. So if we're going to be grateful, Christians... We need to know our places before him. And then secondly, this, we need to not let our circumstances get us down. I don't let my circumstances ever get me down. Verses 8 and 9, Paul moves into some military imagery here to make his point, And he gives us four comparisons inside of this imagery to really show our weakness in contrast to God's power that he had just spoken of. Notice what he says here, verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, you look at what he's describing here, and you would go, his situation sounds very difficult. But not because of the counterpoints that he brings to each of those kind of desperate words. He brings a counterpoint so you can see that it's a difficult situation, but it's not a situation without hope. Amen. He's not in a place where he'd actually have to give up and surrender. Or to put it this way, you could write this down. He's, he's knocked down, but he's not knocked out. Okay, knocked down, but not knocked out. Now, when I look at this verse... I look at these two verses here, uh, verses 8 and 9. There's a certain voice that I hear when I'm reading these verses, and it's the voice of Winston Churchill. I don't know how crazy that sounds to you, but I'm, first of all, it's, um, we're just days away from Remembrance Day right now, and I would just add to what Roger prayed a few minutes ago, how grateful I am, and I know you are for the amazing country that we have for the freedoms that have been purchased uh, for us by our veterans and, um, and, and for our active military personnel, our proximity to Base Borden means that we always have uh, folks that are part of the Base Borden um, 
military family that are part of our church family, and we're grateful for all of them. And so, and I'm also a student of World War II, so I think about these things. And so the fact that we have this kind of military imagery right here in the text on this weekend prior to Remembrance Day, and I hear Churchill's voice because he is for sure one of the greatest kind of hero leaders of World War II. And, um, and so I hear his voice when I read these verses about just kind of being pressed in on every side and how desperate the situation is. And if you know anything about World War II history, you know that in May uh, 1940, a war was declared in September 1939 uh, when uh, Nazi Germany invaded Poland and then um, uh, by... Uh, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, that's when war was declared. And by 1940, the Battle of Britain is beginning and um, uh, the rest of Western Europe has been taken, France has been taken, and, and really Great Britain is standing on its own. Great Britain declares war September 3rd, 1939. Canada declared war shortly after, I think within seven days. And it was Great Britain and her Commonwealth allies. That's it. Standing against, against really this great oppression in Europe. And that was the situation then of the allies was this same kind of situation you see in verses 8 and 9. And the reason why I hear Churchill's voice is because I, he says things like this. In May 1940, he stood before the House of Commons and he said this, I would say to the House, as I said to those who have joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. And you ask, what is our policy? And I can say it is to wage war by sea, by land and air, with all our might and with all our strength, all the strength that God can give us, to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory, victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. Let that be realized. No survival for the British Empire. No survival for all that the British Empire has stood for. No survival for the urge and impulse of the ages that mankind will move forward toward its goal. But I take up my task with buoyancy and hope. I feel sure that our cause will not be suffered to fail among men. At this time, I feel entitled to claim the aid of all. And I say, come then, let us go forward together with our united strength. Pressed in on every side, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, standing alone against the enemy, knocked down, but not knocked out. And so back to the Apostle Paul and what we're talking about here in the text. The circumstances were awful, but they weren't fatal. And I begin to think about this, this idea that our, what's our pre, just note this phrase, what's our pre-gratitude situation? What, what's it like in the moments before we would say, I'm grateful, thank you. Because the pre-gratitude situation for Great Britain in 1940 was not great. The pre-gratitude situation for Paul was afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And it would be so hard to be grateful. Some of you have been in this place. So hard to be grateful when it's all coming down on your head. 
I'm not sure how many Britons were able to thank God, to be thankful in those days of the Battle of Britain. So hard to be grateful given all of that. And I feel like there are so many obstacles to gratitude in our own lives. And, and, and here's the thing, again, the World War II, the Battle of Britain, and, and, and uh, you know, England standing against the world. And I think about Paul and his persecutions and everything he was facing, and I just begin to think that our obstacles are far less impressive than that. The things that stand in the way of us being grateful are slightly less than those things. So how about we build a little list? Does that sound okay? A list of five obstacles to gratitude. What keeps us from being thankful? How about this one? I deserve what I have. I believe that I deserve what I have. That's an obstacle to gratitude. The root issue there, of course, is pride. Thinking too much of ourselves so that you believe that you deserve everything that you have, that you've earned it in some way, and let's just get some clarity around the idea of what you deserve and what you don't deserve. Okay, I think this will be helpful. So, so here's a great little phrase for defining the difference between mercy and grace. You could jot this down. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. Grace is getting what I do not deserve. Let me explain those. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. Here's what you do deserve. As a result of sin, you deserve eternal separation from God. You deserve the condemnation of death. You deserve to die. You deserve to be eternally separated from him in hell, in eternal torment. That's what you and I deserve. If we're talking about what you deserve, that's it. Write it down. I deserve hell. Okay, so the mercy of God is... I don't get that if I'm a follower of Christ. That's his mercy, even though that's the very thing I, I do actually deserve. And then the grace of God is getting what I do not deserve. What is it that I don't deserve? Well, I don't deserve life. I don't deserve the abundant life here. I don't deserve eternal life there. I don't deserve to have my sins forgiven. I don't deserve all the blessings that God brings into my life as a result of being a follower of Christ. I do not deserve these things, but I receive them. That's grace. Okay, so, so now do we have a better understanding, having heard that, do we have a better understanding of what we do and do not deserve? And that's going to help us kind of knock down this first obstacle. I deserve what I have. I know you don't. No, you don't. Now you can be super grateful to God. Now here's a second obstacle. I own what I have. I own what I have. Now we're in 2 Corinthians 4 uh, here, but uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says this, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You see, everything that you have belongs to someone else. Let me, let me put it this way. When you die, I'm just going to ask you a question here. Just take a little short inventory of everything you own. House, cars, whatever. Your RSPs, your investments, all the stuff that you have in your house. You own all that stuff. At least you think you do. But if you owned it, you'd take it with you when you die. How much of that stuff are you taking with you when you die? How much? How much? Yeah, zero. None of it's going with you. 
You see, it's just on loan to you. I mean, if you really owned it, you could take it with you. But you can't take any of it with you. See, it's just while you're here, this temporary life right now, that God lets you use all that stuff. And so if you lock down a better idea of ownership, then you're going to be grateful. Wow, God, thanks for loaning me this stuff. This is awesome. I'm so grateful I get to use this right now. Not everybody gets to use this thing. Not everybody gets to have this, but you've allowed me to have it and to use it. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Or how about this obstacle? I'm too busy to stop and think about what I have. A busyness is like a plague today, true or false. It's, like, it's a plague today. We're just so busy with everything. And, and so we rarely stop to just be thankful for what God has given to us. And you know what's really awesome is that the Lord gave us the one thing in worship that he prescribed to us is the Lord's table or communion, right? He prescribed that. The church, you need to, you need to practice this. And, and the thing about the Lord's table is, you know, it's a pause. It's a, he gets us to stop. And he wants us to think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death for us, and how that forgives our sins. But, but here's the thing, not in our church, but in, in, in liturgical churches, they call the communion table or the Lord's table, what do they call it? And any liturgical church people, high church people, they call it the Eucharist, right? You heard that word before, the Eucharist? is from the Greek word. It's right from the Bible, in fact. And in, in uh, Matthew 26, 27, where Jesus is inaugurating the Lord's table with his followers, he, the, the text tells us in, in Matthew 26, 27, that uh, when he had given, when he had given thanks, when he had given Eucharisto. Okay, so Eucharist, is the word thanksgiving and, and really what God wants us to do when we pause and stop the busyness, stop the madness. He wants us to pause to be grateful for what he's done for us. And we could do with more, more of that for sure. How about uh, this fourth obstacle? I want what others have. Uh, the uh, the four-letter word over this is envy. And it's so hard to be grateful to God when your discontent leads you to want what others have. It's not any of your business at all what God has loaned to someone else. Okay, just focus on the things that he's loaned to you. And then number five, this one is so disturbing. But others shouldn't benefit from what I have. I like my stuff. I'm protective of my stuff. My stuff is my stuff. I don't want people in my house. They'll walk on my carpet. They'll wear the place out. I, don't, I just don't like people over. I, I'm not, I would never lend my vehicle to someone else. Well, then why'd you buy a pickup? <laughs> don't, don't have one of those. Listen, if you have little to no capacity to share what you have, uh, then that's an obstacle to gratitude. And for sure, we talked about generosity last week as part of being a 5G Christian, and for sure, gratitude precedes generosity. You're not getting to generosity if you're not a grateful person and overcoming these five obstacles. Okay, you'll notice all of these are rooted in the heart, all of these obstacles rooted in the heart, but then they outwardly manifest themselves so that, listen, if you're an ungrateful person, every sing you may not realize it, every single person around you knows you're ungrateful. It's going to flow right out from the heart. Everybody's going to see it. Everyone's going to know it, even if you don't. 
But if you determine not to let your circumstances or any obstacles, that's what we're talking about, stand in the way, then this is going to be true of all of us. Verse 10, we are always carrying in the body the death of Christ, the death of Jesus. I'm always dying, yet I'm still alive. Again, knocked down, but not knocked out. In other words, the suffering we endure, the obstacles we face, those are normal for the followers of Jesus Christ. Because we've taken on ourselves the sufferings of Jesus and because we continue to live in this sin-sick world. That's what makes it such a challenge. And so we do all of this. Why? So that, again in verse 10, the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. People see Jesus in us. Instead of seeing an ungrateful person, they see Jesus. Verse 11, for we who, are, who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. We're always facing the challenges, always facing the obstacles, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Again, so that people can see Jesus in us. So death is at work in us, Paul says. I'm facing it. It's hard for me, but life in you. My suffering, the obstacles I'm facing, and because I'm a grateful person in the middle of it, that's to your benefit to the benefit of the people around you. And so again, it's all about people seeing Jesus in us as we suffer, as we face obstacles, as we undergo trials. You hear these words like this of, of certain people are so grateful and have the right perspective on all of this when they're going through difficult season. He has, he, he's going through so much and yet he has so much faith in God. Uh, she's really under it and yet look how thankful she is to God. Look at what they're facing together and yet they never stop worshiping God and thanking him for what he's doing in their life. Is that not the testimony we want painted over our lives? Is that not the thing we want people to see in us? And so we're going to face all these obstacles and we're going to do so with gratitude in our hearts, no circumstances are going to get us down. And then the reason I can get there, notice uh, this next, I anticipate being resurrected with Jesus. I'm like so looking forward to that. Uh, the eyes of the 5G Christian are not on this world. Verses 13 and 14, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, as a quote out of the Psalms, we also believe and so we also sp uh, speak. Uh, we heard the message. We believed the message. So we're talking about the message. Knowing, verse 14, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. I mean, this right here, this is the hope. At the end of the day, with everything else that's going on in our lives, this is the thing that we latch on to. It's the reason we can be so grateful in the midst of any and all circumstances because Jesus himself has done something so awesome for us. The treasure that's contained, ironically, inside this jar of clay has made it possible for us to be grateful people. Because he took on human flesh. And he suffered at the hands of sinners. And he was condemned crucified on our behalf, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. His body, his lifeless body was taken and, and laid in a tomb. And on the third day, God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, resurrected Jesus Christ to new life. That's the ground of our hope. And he, that doesn't end there. 
And he, notice, he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also. Now the us there are all of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, trusted him, given their lives to him, and are following him. He's going to raise us with him. And then to bring some greater understanding to this, just jot down this reference, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, those two chapters, really the last part of chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5. In that letter to the Thessalonians, Paul gives kind of more information about the resurrection because then we start to wonder, what's this really going to be like? What happens to all of those who have died? That was really the the big question in the minds of the Thessalonians. What's going to happen to those who die? Will they be resurrected? And really all the millions of people who have loved Jesus uh, since he gave his life on the cross, every single one of them who have died and their uh, bodies put into a, a grave, every one of them, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, will be resurrected with him. That the dead, in fact, will rise first. And, and then those of us who are alive at his coming, the text says, will be caught up together with him them in the air, and and then it says this, and so we will always be with the Lord, amen? And so we will always be with the Lord. So whether you're dead at the coming of Christ or you're still alive at the coming of Christ, you're going to be gathered up uh, with him uh, to forever be with him. I love those assurances, and it isn't hard at all when you think about all of this to be grateful, not just for, you know, I, I know the things we always thank God for, not just for food and shelter, not, all, not, not just for all the stuff that God puts into our lives, but for, but for this. For the, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, how is this not foremost in our minds and number one in our thoughts when it comes to the things we're grateful for? The resurrection of Christ. That's the ticket to get me to heaven. No, instead, the number one, you know what the number one thing that we're thankful for? What's the thing we thank God for the most? Food. Some of you, it's the only time you ever pray in a week. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this food. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you say grace. But it becomes rather perfunctory a lot of the time, does it not? And, and when you start to add it all up, you think about all the times I pray in a week and all the things I'm thankful for, the number one thing. Now, I love food. I know a lot of you love food. I love wings. I love ribs. I love spaghetti. I love steak. I love a lot of things. I love food. Food is awesome. But it's not it's not, it's not better than the resurrection, is it? Is it is even close? I mean, how, how, how far down the list is food compared to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that we're going to be resurrected to new life just as he was? I mean, it's foolish to talk about. Honestly, it's not even on the list. Somehow we need to add this into our prayer life a little bit more to be thankful to God for all of these things. And so Paul goes back to the first Thessalonians thing and the chapter four, he really talks about the resurrection and how that affects us. And then in chapter five, he talks about the day of the Lord and gives some details about the end times and how that's all gonna play out. And then after he's kind of finished that, he starts banging out right at the end of that letter to the, to the Thessalonians, starts banging out all these exhortations. And one of the things he says is this, in light of all of it, he says this, jot down this reference, first Thessalonians 5, 18. This helps us in what we're saying today. 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's God's will for us to be grateful. Gratitude results from the assurance of Jesus, the assurance that Jesus is returning, and I will be resurrected as he was. All right, finally this, when I've locked down everything else and I'm super grateful to God, I see gratitude increasing. Okay, I've got it. I figured it out. I'm becoming more grateful. Now I start to see that spilling out in those around me. Um, that's going to affect everybody around me because gratitude really is contagious. The passage concludes here in verse 15, for it is all for your sake. Paul's saying all our suffering, all the challenges and obstacles that we've faced, it's all for your sake so that as grace extends uh, to more and more, as God's grace is being poured out, we're seeing the good thing that he is doing, more and more people, what's going to happen? It may increase thanksgiving in all of our lives to the glory of God. And so Paul's suffering, his positive, thankful attitude throughout really was to the benefit of the people he was writing to, but people that he'd poured his life into. And if you and I get this, then the people that he's in, can I just put it this way, the, the people that he's entrusted to us. In other words, the people that are in, in my sphere of influence, the, my, you know, the most uh, important of all human relationships, the marriage relationship that you have. There's going to be spill over there. The, the relations you have with your children, with your grandchildren, there's going to be spill over there with your neighbors and your coworkers, your extended family and your small group and in your church, a spillover benefits everywhere. If we can really lock down this gratitude thing, everyone's going to see it. I mean, think about the husband-wife relationship. And I think sometimes we can just assume things of our spouse that we expect things, we raise these expectations and we would just expect that they're going to do these things but then never stop. I mean, I, I would just ask you, when was the last time you said thank you to your husband or wife for something they did for you? On Thursday, there's been a lot going on this week, uh, as you know, and um, so this week on Thursday... Uh, some information began to come out that we knew I, we were going to have to get the elders together to talk about, uh, very positive stuff. And so I decided, hey, best thing to do, Saturday morning, we're going to have a breakfast at the house. And so I sent an email out to the elders, how many of you can make an 8 a.m. breakfast at my place? Um, and and uh, I, uh, I just copied Cheryl on the email. <laughs> I may have missed a step. May, may have missed a step. She's so, she's so a part of this ministry. I hope you understand it. She's fairly behind the scenes and quiet, but she's so a part of this. Amen. I mean, just imagine managing me. So she, she takes it like a champ because she's into hospitality and she's a great task person and she takes it on and she does an amazing breakfast and the elders were all so gracious and she fed them eggs and, and pea-meal bacon because we're Canadians and that's awesome. And, and, and she does this French toast thing and um, she takes, French toast is just like normal. You put it in the batter, you throw it in the pan, but she, she soaks it overnight. So you get the thick cut toast 
uh, with raisins in it, and then you soak it in the batter overnight, and then you kind of crumble it up in this uh, baking pan, and you bake it in the morning. It's unbelievable. And, and so um, she did all of that, and the elders were so gracious to say thank you to her multiple times for the French toast especially. And, but they thanked her, but then I have to thank her, correct? Uh, she's my wife. We're in ministry together. It might be seen as an expectation. We're running a meeting. Why wouldn't you do this? You have the gift of hospitality. It just so perfectly makes sense. But why wouldn't I stop to say, thanks, honey, for doing that. That was, that was amazing. Right after that, we had a 10 a.m. breakfast, too, meeting with the staff. So, I mean, she just left, which she also found out about um, in the same way. So it's right for me to say thank you, Correct. So husbands and wives, when was the last time for some act of service that your wives, that your husband did for you or, or husbands that your wife did for you, when was the last time you said thank you? And, and then, and then we, we're teaching our kids, we said that off the top, we're teaching our kids to be grateful. Don't forget to say thank you, don't forget to say thank you. But listen, why should they listen to you if they never hear you say it? You got a list of chores? You tell your kids, go off and do these things. There's three things you need to do before you're allowed to go out, before you're allowed to have screen time, before you're allowed to do whatever. Got to get these three things done. Parents, do you say thank you to your kids when they get them done? I realize they're living at your house for free. I get it. I get it. And they should do these things and their chores and their obligations. But, but do you say thank, thanks for doing that for me, honey? I'm so grateful. Create a culture of gratitude in your home. Listen, I think you're going to have to tell your kids to say thank you less often if you create a culture for grat of gratitude in your home and they see you actually modeling it. All right, so how about in, how about in your ministry relationships here? You know, parents, you, you dropped, a lot of you, how many parents dropped off a kid at Harvest Kids this morning? Just raise your hand if you dropped a kid off. Confess, it's okay. And so you dropped your kids off down, down the hallway. And, and I know you love that because I know you love your kids and I know you love Jesus and you want to worship, but you're also pretty happy about the 90 minutes without your kids. I'm not wrong about that. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. And, and when was the last time you just said thank you to one of those Harvest Kids workers for teaching your kids, for learning the word of God, for pouring that into your kids, for doing a craft, for spending the 90 minutes with them? Just thanks for doing that this morning. I mean, that applies in so many different parts of our ministry here. When was the last time you thanked your small group leader for the extra effort he or she puts in to leading your group and to hosting you in their home, caring about you and praying for you? I mean, just a culture of gratitude Employees, when was the last time you said thank you to your boss just for employing you? Employers, when was the last time you said thank you to your employees beyond the paycheck? I'm talking about verbalizing it, saying it, making it real, creating a culture for all of these things. This is what God wants us to be. It's about being the disciples he wants us to be. We're made for this. We're made to be grateful. So let's be grateful in all of this. All right, is a practical outworking of this? How do you feel about some homework? Feel good about it? Just say yes. I'm going to give it to you anyway. How many of you have your uh, devotional guides? You're using them right now. Hold those up for me right now. Hold those up. Pastor Dan did an amazing job on the content, and Tyler did an amazing job on the design. So grateful for these. I know they've been helpful. So in this section where you're already taking your sermon notes, okay, you're going to have five days of devotionals. You're going to work through various passages there. Then you come to Saturday, 
on this page and it says Saturday Reflections. Can you turn to that page for me right now? That's November 12th, Saturday Reflections. Here's the homework. On that page, I want you first of all to express your gratitude to God for. And I want you to list, because that list could be endless. That list could be endless, but I just want you to list the top 10 10 things I'm super grateful for. And if food is one of them, it's not going to be good for you. Okay, Make food number 11, top 10 things you're grateful for. Top 10 things, I want you to really think about that. And then the second thing is, what needs to change in my life for me to be a more grateful person? And you're going to need to think hard about this and pray about it and consider the verses here and everything else you're going to be seeing this week. What are some changes I need to make? Do I need to express it more verbally? Do I need to send a text message every once in a while? Do I need to say it to my kids? Is it something in my marriage that I need to get, get right more often? Is it something in the workplace? But just jot down maybe two, three, four things, areas of my life that need change as a result of all of this. God's going to help us be more grateful grateful followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? 5G Christians made to be grateful. Let me pray for us, and then, um, and then I have an announcement. Father, we are uh, grateful for um, your abundant love for us and, and for your uh, super abundant patience with us. And help us in these days, Father, to uh, hear your word and to respond sober-mindedly Uh, to these things with a great passion, a desire to obey you in all of this. And Father, we know it's to our benefit. Father, we know that good things result uh, from us doing the things that you've laid out for us to do in your word. Father, thank you for hearing this prayer. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.